Well, good morning again, everybody, and hello, online community. Glad you guys are with us. Um, we are stoked to be together today, and um, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors on our team. I'm the lead pastor who drew the really long straw, like I got the better end of the deal, because Pastor Ben is in Alaska with all the high school students, getting his youth pastor back on, seeing how that feels, because Ben and Shelly are 11 months pregnant, and so they couldn't go. And uh, so, um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. When we did this first hour, we were, you know, the time came for all of us to get up on the stage and do our part, and I was the only one in the room. Um, and so I got up to take Shelly's part, and I got, and I started walking this way, and Michael was finishing leading the song, and he was looking at me like, and, the, and in his face was, is Shelly having the baby right now? Like, we went through rehearsal this morning, and she wasn't in labor, but here it's happening. And it's, so it's a super exciting time, because all of us on staff are having a baby. So that's pretty great. <laughs> super enjoying that with you guys. Uh, before I get into our, uh, the sermon, what I'm, what I, you know, the, the person that we're talking about and the great heroes of faith in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. I, I want to remind you of a story. You know, I <clears throat> almost always I carry uh, in, as one of my books in my Kindle a classic that I'm reading. I love reading the classics. There's so much out there in the world to read, like, and I'm always overwhelmed. And I'm not even talking about Christian classics. I'm talking about classic classics. And I was reviewing recently uh, the... The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Have you read that in any time since you were like 11? It is so great. It is so fun to read that. But one of the, one of the stories that everyone remembers from that book is when Huck and Tom got to attend their own funeral. Do you remember this? Because it was so, it so possessed our imagination, not even as young people, but as like adults to be thinking, gosh, what would that be like? Because they got to do what, I mean, the whole reason that that is in the book is the power that it evokes for us as adults to think, yeah, what would people say? What would people say about me and what legacy that I've left and how they feel about that? And I, that is so interesting because most of us, like that's a fascinating thought. Well, and that's why we think it's so funny that meme where um, the saying goes, uh, be, live in such a way or be the kind of person, right? That the preacher doesn't have to lie at your funeral. Do you know that? Do you know that saying, right? And so it's like, yes, like what, what am I going to leave? So I'm going to give you a little sermon because here's the deal. Most people don't end well. And I'm going to give you a little sermon that's not for us old guys, okay? It's not for all of us with gray hair. It is for everybody because here's the deal. People who do end well, people who if they were to hear their own funerals and it's spoken of them that they've carried the deep things of God into the world and blessed people and become people of deep faith and impact, like those people, it's because they wrestled with God from the time, first time they learned about him. And so, I'm not talking to us, Arv. I mean, I get, right? I'm talking to everybody to say, ending well and becoming a person who is godly at the end doesn't happen by accident, but it's something that we do as we wrestle with God along the way. 
And so that leads us to the person that we're going to talk about, which is Jacob. And uh, Jacob, the reason I'm taking that take on Jacob, Jacob is one who wrestled with God. And we know that from the scripture that we'll get to in a little bit in my sermon today. But the reason that I'm taking this take about finishing well is in Hebrews chapter 11. That's what we're doing. We're going through the book of Hebrew or the, the chapter of Hebrews 11. And we're talking about these great heroes of faith and how, what they were commended for. Jacob is commended for something he did at the end of his life. And it's so interesting what it says. So here's the text in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Jacob, and remember by faith, faith is a life of action that's rooted in who God is, what he can do. Even if we haven't seen that happen yet in a particular circumstance in which we're living, but we believe it to be true because we've seen him and we know him. And so we're living like he's real. And so Jacob, by faith, this is what happened to him when he was dying. So at the end, he blessed each of Joseph's sons. In other words, there's a, there's a whole backstory there that you got to go read in, in the book of Genesis. But he ended up passing on the legacy the way it was passed on to him. The legacy of being God's people in God's land from whom the Messiah would come. Like this is the whole story. Abraham got it. Isaac got it. He gave it to Jacob. And Jacob's passed it on to Joseph. And then he goes and gives it to Joseph's sons as well. So that's not going to be the point of our sermon, except that he lived a life where the legacy didn't stop with him. Oh, that ought to be a sermon. He lived a life where the legacy didn't stop with him. The legacy of faith was passed on. Well, I just want to preach on that right now. Somebody feel like that's your sermon today? He lived a life that the legacy didn't stop with him. Wow. So by faith, he passed on the legacy, and then this really odd phrase, and he worshiped as he leaned on his staff. As an old, weak, tired man, can I get an amen from any of you old, weak, tired men? <laughs> he worshiped. He ended his life as one who was in love with God and devoted to God committed to God and in relationship with God. Wow. Now, what's so powerful about that, as you know, is that he didn't start that way. But let's look at the, the Genesis text that Hebrews is referring to. So you see it in context. So this is in Genesis 47. It's at the end of his life. And um, Jacob was living in Egypt. You're like, oh, right, he was living in Egypt. Wait, wasn't Joseph there? There's a whole story about Joseph. Yep, I'm going to preach about Joseph next week. So there's a whole bunch of chapters in the middle of there with Joseph and Pharaoh and Potiphar's wife and all that kind of stuff, those stories that we know. Uh, like that, we'll talk about that next week, Joseph. But uh, Jacob was living in Egypt during the, at the end of his life for 17 years. And he was 147. And when the time drew near for Israel to die, you're like, wait, who's Israel? Wait a minute. We're going to get to this. Jacob's name was changed, remember? To Israel. Some of you are like, no, remember? No, I've never read this. I know. I'm so glad you guys are here. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up in the church. So when people say, like, as we know, I'm like, I didn't know that. I learned, I'm learning stuff all the time. So Jacob got his name changed to Israel. So these are now interchangeable. So Jacob was living in Egypt for 17 years, 147. And when the time drew for him to die, there Israel, he called for his son, Joseph, and said to him, if I found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise me something. Promise me that you'll show me kindness and faithfulness. So let's go ahead and there's that image is in our head. Put your hand under, let's get it out of, now let's, now let's get it out of our, 
Nope, it's going to be there. So that's a... That's an image, but there's a promise that's being made. There's a solemn promise that's being made. He's like, listen, promise me something solemnly, he says to his son. Show me kindness and faithfulness. Promise me this. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry, when I die, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. His heart was to say, listen, Egypt, and I'm doing God's plan here as an old man, but this is not where I belong. Because the legacy of being in God's land, the legacy of God's people one day being in God's land, the legacy of God's blessing coming from his land to the whole world through Christ, which he didn't know about yet. Like all, he's like, this is where I belong. I'm a foreigner in a foreign land right now. But that's where I belong. So he's like, so you see the faith of this guy? So he's like, so, so swear to me. And Joseph said, I'll do as you say. And, and he said, again, swear to me. And then Joseph swore to him. And then Israel worshiped as he leaned on his staff. Oh, I love that. At the end, he was one characterized who loved God and was devoted to God and was living for God and was committed to God and his plan and his ways. Oh, he ended that way. Now, he didn't start that way. In fact, he lived an entire life off and on seeking God, but he is known for being what? Anybody know? A deceiver. That's what his name means. The name Jacob means he deceives. It means he, is, he was a, um, an arranger, a manipulator, or usurper, or whatever. That's how he started. But the Hebrews text is like, yeah, but let's celebrate him because by faith at the end of his life, he was a worshiper who loved God, was devoted to God, was committed to God was following God. Oh, he ended well. You see, because what's happening here is that Jacob is a prototype. And here's a thesis. If you miss anything else I have left to say here this morning, I don't want you to miss this, that Jacob's a prototype of the reality that there's a very common arc among those of us who are struggling to become whole and holy. By the way, so many biblical characters are prototypes. That's why they're in the Bible. That's why we read it and study it and are reflective of it. But Jacob is a prototype of this arc that I think there are three phases that I want to talk about in my sermon today of people who struggled become whole and holy. In other words, there's an arc of belief that happens. And these phases, we go in and out of these phases, but there's three sort of fundamental truths that happen for those of us who are struggling to walk with God, but who in the end will be known as ones who love God and have carried on his legacy. So you want to talk about what those three phases of this this arc is? You ready to do that? All right, here we go. Number one. Here's the phase number one from Jacob's life. We let scarcity and fear and control dominate our narrative and way of moving through the life through life we let scarcity and fear and control dominate that let the, we let that be the dominant dominant narrative or we let it dominate our narrative our view our lens and our way of moving through the world because what this is about is every human being is self-oriented I mean, selfish just sounds like I'm just, you know, yelling at you guys. But we're self-oriented. We're self-preserving. We're self-sustaining. We're self, well, we are self-preoccupied. We're, um, we're self-governed. That's what we do as human beings. 
And the reason is because it's the opposite of faith. Faith says, I'm going to trust that God is who he says he is, that he's got me, that I can partner with him, and that I'll live in the blessing of a God who will come through for me. But we're like, hmm. How many times have we said this in this sermon series? Right? This is the challenge of faith. We're like, yeah, not positive of that, so I'm going to go ahead and be self-governing, self-oriented, self-preserving, right? That's what we do. And it is in every single one of us. Jacob's life has so many examples of this. Well, from the very beginning, we read forward of that. His name meant that, that he grasps the heel, that he was like, he was a twin, but he's like, no, me first. I'm going to get the other guy. Like, and he didn't come out first, but that was the, the idea. And so he's a heel grabber, which means he's a supplanter, as I said, or an usurper or a manipulator or a controller. Here's a word I love because it's in my journal a thousand times. He's an arranger. He's always arranging the circumstances to go well for him even if it's outside of God's best. He's like, okay, I can't take a chance. So I got to preserve and take care. Gosh, where did he get this? I mean, it's in our human nature. It's in his DNA. Scriptures teach that all people have sinned. Everybody has turned their hearts away from God at some point in time, every human. And so therefore we've fallen short of the glory of God, of the beauty of the life that God offers. And so we're people who are by nature, by DNA, oriented away from God. It's part of the free will that God gave us and every single person has failed the test. So it's part of our DNA. It's really part of our DNA because it's part of our family of origin. And so Jacob's story, I mean, not only did he have it in his human nature, but it's in his family of origin, man. When you start reading the story of Jacob, and we have, we've seen it in some of the other readings in our um, Bible reading plan this uh, last few weeks in the app as we've been a little bit in Genesis. When you read the story about him stealing the birthright, one of the things you notice in there is you're like, wait, poor Jacob, his mom set him up for that, right? And like, you're like, uh, that poor guy, it's his mom who did it. Okay, so listen, no mom bashing allowed, but we are all from broken systems. And we learn how to get through life the way all the other humans around us get through life. And some of us, I had a great family system and a great, some great people. A lot of people didn't have that. And so this brokenness of being self-oriented, self-governed, and I, about, I can't trust God. I got to rant. That all comes from broken family systems. And it certainly did from Jacob, man. When you, if you do a family tree and you just list all the shenanigans of Isaac and Rebecca and Abraham and, and Sarah above him, like his grandma and, and grandpa and his, his dad and his mom and his, it is crazy talk. So everybody struggles with living this way because of DNA, because of families of origin from the choices that we've made. And by the way, it wasn't all that Jacob was about. It wasn't all that he was about. There's these snippets of him encountering God and recognizing God was in his midst and saying, oh, I want you to be my God. And he has these moments, these flashes, because I believe that God is wooing every single one of our hearts all the time and telling me, this is the way to live. Come walk in it. But it was really hard. He kept struggling with his scarcity and his fear and his control. And it just kept getting in the way. I mean, half the time, his, you know, it was about panic, right? And grasping. But church, panic and grasping, that's not kingdom way of living. 
And half the time it was like, I better help God because I'm not sure how this is going to work out okay, right? And boy, is that reality for us. Sometimes we panic and we grasp and take control of our lives regardless of what God wants to do because we are in fight or flight. And sometimes we just go, well, I know God's good, but I don't see goodness on the horizon, so I'm going to help him out a little bit. And I'm going to arrange or even deceive and manipulate and do what I got to do to make sure that I'm okay. So don't hear, by the way, that putting yourself in places of safety is wrong. What I hear is, what I want you to hear is people who do not walk with God out of scarcity and fear, never get to know God better, never get to see God's ways, never give him the opportunity to lead them into the life that he's designed for them. And then we're left with whatever it is that our strength and our power arranges for ourselves, and it's never the life that God has for us. I didn't even look at a text about this. You know, here's one of the examples of Jacob's kind of arranging and manipulating. It's from Genesis 32. I thought I'd pick this one because we're going to be in Genesis 32 at the end of my sermon. But this is where Jacob was going to meet Esau. Again, you've heard a bunch of the context, but he stole Esau's birthright, so Esau hated him, so Esau was going to kill him. So Rebekah's like, why don't you take a few years in another area and just preserve yourself? So he went off, and a whole bunch of other things happened, and he was now going to be called back because, by the way, in his hunger, he met with God, and God said, go back into the land. You can go. And he's like, I want to go, and I believe you're going to do, it's going to be, a blessing for me to go and be your person. So God, I want you to be my God. He had this sweet encounter with God. And then he ends up going back toward the land. And as he does, he gets into Esau's land, his brother who was going to kill him. And his messengers tell him that there's Esau's coming with 400 men toward him. And he goes, oh, here we go. It's on. This is what I was afraid of. And so he started making a plan to try to manipulate Esau so that he could make sure and guarantee safety for himself rather than just walking in the plan of humility and obedience and letting God unfold what God had for him. He was like, it felt too dangerous to trust God. So he took a, he said, he took a group and instructed them some things to say. And then verse 19 is where he pick it up. And he also instructed the second and the third group, all those others who followed with the herds. And he said, you're to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. Be sure to say your servant, Jacob, is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts that I'm sending on ahead. And later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So the gifts went ahead of him and he himself spent the night in camp. He was basically saying, I am going to want my own. I'm, I'm going to trust in myself to pacify Esau because I cannot believe that God's going to take care of me even though God led me down this path to re-encounter. Esau. So last thought on this part of the phase, you guys, I, we're going to talk about the rest of the ark in a minute, and it's going to be helpful for us, but because this is who we are, and this is, I don't know anybody who doesn't struggle with this self-orientation and self-preservation and self-governance, what do we do? This is one pastoral tip here a third of the way through the, the ark. We have to be very present with how the narrative of scarcity and fear and control is playing itself out in everyday experiences. We have to be very present. 
and go, what's happening for me right now in this encounter with this person, in this phone call that I have to make, in this news that I received from work, in this, in, in this anticipation of seeing uh, my kid coming home from school today? Like, what's happening inside of me is the narrative one that I don't know if God's going to be in it with me. I don't know if God's going to take care of me in it. And so out of fear and scarcity and control, I operate out of self-preservation. We have to be very present with that narrative and how it is impacting us moment in and moment out. Because when we're aware of it, we're able to release it and put ourselves into the covering of God and into the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that, friends, is just walking with God. That's walking with God. And he meets us and gives us grace and gifts for every situation that we're gonna face. And so we just, as we know that, that that scarcity and fear comes up within us, we want to be present to that. Is that the narrative that I want? What is happening here? And instead move under the care of God and watch him bring peace and life and help us meet what we're faced. You, you with me on that? You know what I'm saying? So that's arc number one that we let, that is part of our human life and what we've been given from the world and our DNA, we let that narrative lead us. But phase two is, after a while, we come to terms with being sick of ourselves. And sick of what this, our way has gotten us. And we genuinely start to want God's way more than our own. There's a marker in our lives, and it's there. I think, you guys, there are many markers. I think these are a crossroads that we come to, and I think it's actually over and over and over that this happens in our lives. There's several of these, but where we get to, ah, I'm so sick of living this way. I'm so tired of manipulating. I'm so tired of arranging. I'm so tired of protecting. I'm so tired of all this stuff. I want your way, God. I want your way in how I'm living. I don't want to be doing this anymore. And so we come to a place in the arc of faith where we're like, dang, I am tired of myself. And it does happen many times in our lives. Look at the scripture in Genesis 32, where as the story unfolds and he um, is just about to meet Esau, it's like he lives in this fear of how this thing is going to go. And you sense his desperation because he doesn't understand that this, he doesn't, he doesn't, he can't even fathom how his, his arranging this time around is going to keep him from all that danger. And so that night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons. He crossed the fort of the Jabbok. And after he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And so Jacob got alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. So God shows up for him in this moment of existential angst. So the man turns to find it's just some manifestation of God. But Jacob has been anticipating this encounter, fearful of death, fearful of all his crops and his, I mean, all his, his, uh, his livestock and his riches, fearful of the whole thing. Maybe if I do this way, maybe if I separate this, maybe if I have the kids go in front, then it's going to, like, he has this whole scenario in which he's going to manipulate him, his way into making it through this tough situation. But he knows that that is all crazy talk, that he can't guarantee it. And you can just sense him being sick and tired of being in control of his own life and his own safety and his own preservation. And he decides he wants God's way. And so God comes and wrestles with him till daybreak. Now, this is just a crazy miracle manifestation of God's story. But I love the picture in it. He wrestled with God all night long. He wrestled with God. He was 
done living according to his own plan, but he just wrestled with God. And look what he said. There's a few verses in there that I skipped because I went off time, but that he wrestled with him. The guy's like, let me go. And Jacob's like, no, I'm not going to let you go. And he's like, let me go. And he's like, no, I'm not going to let you go. And then the man touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it so that Jacob listened after a while, for the, probably the rest of his life. But it does say afterward, he walked with a limp because he wrestled with God. He was forever impacted because he wrestled with God. God gave him a little something to remember him by so that he would not forget the night he spent all night wrestling with God, so sick of himself. But finally, the guy's like, all right, let me go. God's like, let me go. Okay, I see a little spiritual umph. Let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You guys, you put that in everyday language. What he's saying is, I want your way now. I want your way. I'm going to get a hold of you, and I'm not going to let go of you until I have your way. I am so tired of living my own life. I'm so tired of being in control of my own life. I want you, God, and I want your way, and I will not let you go until I get it. That's the second arc, you guys, where we come to terms with being sick of ourselves and what that way of life is getting us, where we say to ourselves, man, how is this working for me? Because I'm kind of exhausted, but I haven't surrendered fully into the goodness of God I don't know if you resonate at all with being sick of yourself. This is something that old people feel. Because we've been around and we've looked in the mirror long enough. But we have these crossroads. They're big sometimes. God surprises us. They're on a Sunday morning. They're at, they're at a camp. They're driving to work. Like things just ha- And we're like, oh, God, I want your way more than my way. That's a form of wrestling with God and not letting go and going, so now give me your way. I remember the first time, I had, I've had, I actually had, have had sort of bigger ones happen about every decade, which I think is just right for an old guy. Like uh, just like small ones all the time, big ones every decade. I remember the first time that happened, I was 21. I'd lived in such a way, I'd made certain choices where my life was becoming a mess. I actually looked ahead at my funeral, so to speak, a la Huck and Tom, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not who I want to be and I was only 21 years old. I was in a worship experience at a camp that I was at. And I just felt like I had to run out of the back doors because the worship was so what I wanted, but I was not that man. And I was like running down this pathway and I kind of tripped. And then I'm like, uh, and I just felt, I just rolled into these bushes. And I mean, re- I can show you where this is at this camp. Like I just rolled into these bushes. And I remember that my prayer as I wept was, I'm so sick of me. <laughs> And I was 21. Do you know how sick of me I am now? (laughs) And my friends came and they're like, are you all right? And I'm like, no. They're like in the bushes. Are you all right? Like, no, I'm sick of me. They're like, we're sick of you. So this is good. comes a time when we're like, I'm done. I'm done trying to figure it out on myself. I'm not smart enough and I don't like where it's gotten me and I want God's way more and I'm ready to take the risk. I was operating out of fear and scarcity and danger, but I'd rather take those risks and walk with a perfect heavenly father than have my own way. The third arc then that leads to, and this is where we end up being transformed. And a new identity is given to us. And our legacy then becomes one of being a person of rest and peace 
and worship. There's really two parts to this phrase, as you can see it. What happens in this third kind of arc is that then once we have said, God, I want your way, then we have essentially put ourselves before him to let him transform us by his power. And he gives us a new way of looking at ourselves. He gives us a new identity, as the Jacob story will tell us in just a minute. And then the second part of that thing is, and then because of that, then our legacy is one of transformed personhood, a person who is a worshiper, as they say about Jacob, one who lives in rest and peace and joy and love with God and commitment to God and devotion to God rather than, wow, look at Jacob, he figured it out. Look at all the flocks he has. Look at all the kids he has. Look at how he solved it. That's not the legacy that Jacob wanted. He's like, I want your way more. And this third arc is when we've surrendered to him and he gives us his identity and he brings that kind of legacy. Let's look at the text a little bit and I'll let you know what I'm trying to get at there. So this is the Genesis 32 again, verse 26. This was where we left off before. Remember, Jacob said, I'm not gonna let you go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a hold of you and I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. And then the man asked him, this is what God said to him. After all that back and forth, let me go. No, I'm not letting you go. Let me go. No, I'm not letting you go. Wrench your hip. You're going to walk with a limp. Let me go. I'm not letting you go. Then finally the man says, you want my way? This is God saying to Jacob. He says to him, what is your name? Who are you? Now don't miss this, church. This is a pivotal moment. Because at this moment, he's asking, who do you want to be? He's all, what have you been called and why? And Jacob answers him. I don't think I've ever talked about this text without emotion. He's like, you know my name. God said, who are you? Who are you? What is your name? And Jacob said, you know, you know my name. I'm the deceiver. I know. I'm the manipulator. I'm the one who's taken everything into my own hands. I'm the arranger. I'm the usurper. That's who I am. And this is a moment, not of condemnation, but because he came to a place who said, I'm finally tired of me. I want your way more than anything else. He was open to transformation. In the next verse, verse 28, I have it there on the screen. The man said, no, that's actually not who you are. That will no longer be your identity. That is an outmoded conception of who you are. That was who you were when you wanted to live independent of me, but one who will wrestle with me and get a hold of my robe and not let me go until my way comes into your life, till my transformation comes, till my fruit comes into your life, till my leading is the way in which you walk. He said, no, you, you are not the deceiver. Your name will not be the deceiver anymore. Your identity is Israel. Your name is Israel, which means church. He wrestled with God. That is his legacy. That is why this is so emotional for me. Because when he gets to watch his funeral, his legacy is this guy wrestled with God and would not let God go till he had God's way, till he had God's will, till he had God's transformation. That's what this guy was about. Is that not powerful? 
pastoral word here for all of us. Every day is a crossroad for us to say, am I gonna live self-governed, self-preserving, self-oriented? Or will I say, no, God, I want your way more than anything else. And at that point, God will ask each of us, day in and day out, what's your name? And I don't know what that answer is for you, and that's worth some reflection. What would you say, what is on your name tag? Jacob's like, you know, you know my story. What's on your name tag? Were you like, this has been my story? The parts where you've not walked faithfully with God, where your brokenness has got the better of you, where scarcity and control has dominated your narrative, where you've hurt people and there's no fixing that, where you, what? Because God says to every one of us, that's not your name. That's not your name. For Christ has come, and anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. And the old is gone and the new has come. And we're able to put on Christ who's being, uh, the new self who has been renewed in knowledge in the image of our creator. You guys, we have been redeemed from a life of walking alone without God. And he goes, so that is no longer your name. From now on, your name will be Israel because you wrestle with God. Is that not what your heart longs for? And finally, back to Hebrews 11 then, because this is the legacy that was left. And band, why don't you guys come out? Because I want to worship before we get done. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of Joseph's sons. He carried on the legacy faithfully. It didn't stop with him. And he worshiped. And he worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. How he ended as an old, weak man leaning on his staff was so different than how he began his life because he was one who loved God and was devoted to God and walked with God. Now, it is dishonest to say he didn't waver because right after the text with Esau, when he got desperate and went across the, the, the street, he forded the stream and he wrestled with God and said, I want your way. And God changed his name. Then he went to Esau and God had this amazing outcome where Esau loved him and they wept together and he didn't kill him, but he embraced him and all of that stuff happened. And then he said, great, let's go live together. And then he, Jacob said, okay, you go right ahead. I'll be right behind you. And then he went the other way because he was afraid. And then a chapter later, God said, yo, Jacob, let's go back to Bethel, that place where I met you, and you made a vow to me that you would love me and be my servant. He brought him back. It's like bringing him back to that camp underneath that bush on the side of the trail. He said, remember what I said to you here? And he speaks the words again, you'll no longer be called Jacob, but your name is Israel for you wrestled with God. That's who you really are. And he called him back into his real identity. He called him back into his real identity. He called him back into his real identity as he wavered into a life of self-governing and self-preserving and self-rule. I, 
it's this the best news ever. And so church, by faith at the end of his life, he was a worshiper. What will you do with this invitation that you see through Jacob's life? This invitation to be on this arc of moving away from self-rule to being tired of the way your life would go if you were in control and wanting God's way more than anything else and landing on an openness to transformation and receiving his new identity and coming back over and over and over again as often as it's needed. Church, I'll leave you with a question. Will you wrestle with God? At your funeral, the legacy will be the good news didn't stop with him, with her. But tomorrow, the question is, will you wrestle with God and not let him go because you want his way more? Church, that's what we do together as a church. That's how we live in the, in the body of Christ. That's what we do as the people of faith is that we say, you help me walk in my real identity. You help me wrestle with God for I want his way more than anything else. Let's be those people together. Let's start now by worshiping together in response because that's what God longs from our hearts.